Good to be seated, church. There's a, I didn't do this, so don't write me the angry email, so just make sure we start there. Like, this was not me. I do not approve of this, but I've just, I've read that this happened. And there, there was a study that some scientists did, and they wanted to study culture. And so what they did is they, they took 10 monkeys, and they put them in a room with a ladder, and there's a banana at the top of the ladder. But what happened is whenever any of the monkeys got halfway up the, the ladder, a siren would go off, a strobe light would flash, and icy cold water would spray down the entire room and all of the monkeys in it. And so they quickly learned to stay away from the ladder. And then what they did is they took one of the 10 monkeys out and put in a new one. And the new one was like, oh, look, a banana. And as soon as it started to climb the ladder, the other nine monkeys that had been sprayed with water and had the siren blaring in the ear and the lights flashing in their eyes grabbed the other monkey and attacked it and beat it and did screams at it until it figured out, stay away from the ladder. And so they, they cycled this where they would add, take one out, add one in until eventually all 10 of the monkeys in the room had never experienced the siren, the flashing lights or the water. And they added in another monkey and they attacked, but none of them knew why. They just knew that the rule, like this is just what we do here. We just stay away from that. And they knew what they did, but they didn't know why they did it. And to quote the great philosophical masterpiece from 1997, um, known as Men in Black, it, a person is smart, people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. We have all seen, and some of us have been part of, what I'll refer to as a mob, a mob of people, a group of people who know what they do and what they do is destructive, it's hurtful, it's painful, and they don't even know really why they do it, they just know that's what they do. And this is the unfortunate truth that so many churches no longer exhibit the gifts or the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but what they exhibit is the tendency of just a mob of people. They don't know why they do what they do, but they do it. And what they do is destructive. It's hurtful. It divides. And the intention of the church, the intention of the body of Christ is that it would be, and I'm going to use this term that gets abused in our culture, that it would be an inclusive place that brings people in. And let me clarify, we do not back down from the truth of the word of God. But as people who follow the word of God, we are called to be a people that bring others in so that they may learn what God speaks and wills for their life. That anyone is welcome, but we are a people who follow the ways of Jesus Christ. And so as we get into this message today, we're going to see some interesting things about uh, the Apostle Paul. And I'll introduce who he is in just a moment. But I really want you to begin to just sort through some of the things in your mind because I understand there's a natural gravity to get drawn into the behaviors of the mob, to be drawn into behaviors that are not reflective of Christ and his church. And I'll start picking on one that is just the low-hanging fruit for people of our day and age. Are there ideologies that you hold to? Are there concepts and things about our culture that you hold strongly to that you hold above other biblical principles. Let me start here. 
Do you have political affiliations that matter more to you than what scripture teaches you? Are there things that you believe about gender and ideology that are more important to you than what scripture actually teaches? Are there groups of people that you would like to belong to that you can, you're more concerned about their opinion of you than God's opinion of you? Are, have you been choosing to pass up opportunities to stand up for the truth of the word of God because you're afraid of the consequences it might have in relationships, in workplace, or in business? Are there things that we're holding above the importance of living our life for God. And that's really what today is about because when a group of us gets into this mindset that we say, we're gonna elevate this other platform above the teachings of scripture in our life, we begin to move from being a church to just being a mob that, that divides people and destroys people. And I wanna tell you, it's better to stand with one other believer in Christ who's gonna walk in his ways than to be surrounded by a hundred people in the mob who all agree with you and tell you what you're doing is right. It's better to stand with one than to stand with a hundred. Today, today's passage is going to be in Acts 16. If you want to open up your Bible and turn to Acts 16, but I want to introduce to you the Apostle Paul or Saul as he's also known in scripture. And this is one of those just interesting misconceptions because God very often will change people's name in scripture when he does something significant in their life and people will talk about, you know, moving from Saul to Paul. God never actually changes Saul's name to Paul, but Saul is of Hebrew descent and Saul is his Hebrew name. He was raised up and he was, he was a leader within the Hebrew circles. He, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he said. He held, held stringently to the laws and the practices of the Pharisees uh, and, and he was devout of following God. So much so that when people began to follow the teachings of Christ, he volunteered to go and persecute, hunt down, arrest, and even have put to death people who followed the ways and the teachings of Christ. That's who Saul was. And then when Saul was on the way to arrest some more people, on the way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that was literally blinding, like blinding, blinded by the light, like that's where that term comes from, was Paul's experience with Jesus. And his life got radically transformed. And in Acts 9, this is a really interesting introduction to the beginning of Paul's faith. When someone was complaining to God, God, I'm afraid to go talk to Saul. God's answer to them was, I'm going to show Saul how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now, if you think about a new believers class, the introductory message being titled, how much you will suffer for my namesake is not very appealing. But that's literally like, that's the message that God began to install in Saul as he first came to faith. And he had this radical transformation and Paul is the Greek version of Saul. And so he was known by both. If he was in a Hebrew circle, he would go by Saul. That was the natural thing. If he was in Greek circles, he'd go by Paul and he would go town to town and, and he would try to reach the Jewish people and they, they would push him out of the temple and he'd shake the dust off his cloak and he'd move to the Greek and the Gentile people. And that's really where he felt like his primary calling was, was to reach those who were known as Gentiles who were outside of the Hebrew line, outside of Judaism. And so that was really his mentality. He's gonna go. And so he, he's, he's ministering in Philippi and he, he encounters a woman who has a spirit on her and he, he, the passage actually says in Acts 16 that he got annoyed by her after days of her just speaking about him and speaking to him. And he cast the spirit out and she was a fortune teller at that time, making her owners a profit. And so they got angry that he ruined their ability to make money off of her. And so they gathered up a mob. 
They want to have him beaten and arrested, and that's where we're jumping into the story in Acts 16. Starting at verse 22, and we'll put this up on the screen. And it says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and, to the, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now the mob mentality that begins to happen here as there's a couple men who are upset that they lost their ability to make a profit. They riled up and then the crowd jumped in and you've seen this, you felt this, you've been a part of this in different ways. I know that you have. That when the crowd smells blood, they love to egg it on. You remember in middle school, like when a couple people start pushing in the hallway and then the circle forms and everybody comes running and they're like egging it on, trying to get the fight started. You probably also remember in middle school that uh, it, it was very common that as soon as people figured out who they could bully, they would. Maybe you can remember being that person or doing that to that person. There, there's this common gravity that we see in experience that when other people are doing something, even if we know that it's not right, it's like we just slide right into that. It's very easy to slide into the mentality, mentality of the mob. And within the church, we see it as well. And man, we, we have heard and we have seen people under the guise of it's a prayer request, share gossip. We've seen within the church People create division because they're so holy that they can't tolerate someone who is new or someone who is hurting, someone who is going through divorce, someone who is recovering from an addiction and people who create division instead of unity. And this is what I wanna draw on as we just navigate this first part of understanding. Are, are we gonna be someone who clings to one other holy person and stands for what is right? Or are we gonna go with the biggest, loudest voice? And we see mobs look a little bit different in our day, but you see the, the mob happen on social media all the time. You see people attack, you see people degrade. And unfortunately, I know many of us ha have fallen into the I'll click like on that. That's, it's funny how they said that about them. I mean, I don't want to be mean, but I just want to say. And I want to challenge you that as you look at the relationships in your life, do you find yourself just leaning towards everyone else says this, everyone thinks this, everyone else acts like this? This is just how people in my political party are. Or are you clinging to the word of God as the one source of truth, the one source of hope, the one authority to govern your life? Because if you are building your life on the teachings of scripture, what you're going to see is you're going to see it promotes unity. You're going to see compassion flow from you. You're going to see peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, self-control, things that aren't very popular on social media, things that aren't very prevalent on social media today. Well, everybody talks like that, Paul. What does the word of God teach us? Here with Paul and Silas, there's this mob that forms because of what they're saying, because of what they're teaching, because of how they set someone free. And Paul and Silas are standing alone against the crowd and the leaders of the community, the magistrates, they say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna pacify the crowd by having them beaten. And I wanna make sure that you catch the notes, the, the details that are in this passage. It says that they had them stripped and beaten. And it's tough to live at our faith in, in our day and age. I get that. Well, tough on a relative scale, right? It's tough that someone may not like my post with my Bible verse as much as they like my picture of my kids. It's tough that some people might roll their eyes when I talk about my faith. It's tough that people may not want to sit with me at lunch if I talk about my faith so much. It's tough in that way. It's not tough in the respect of someone's going to drag me off and beat me with poles. Now look, I'm not saying that our faith is less than because we're not experiencing physical persecution, but I do want to just open up our awareness to our willingness to endure difficulty for our faith because our tolerance for any sort of difficulty is so low in this present day and age. It's like someone will say the smallest thing about, oh, I can't believe you go to church. And it's like, we'll dwell on that. Like we'll be trying to go to sleep that night and be like, I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they had the audacity to make a comment about that. I can't believe they criticized the Bible verse that I had on my social media. I can't believe they made this small comment about us. And listen, we need to be so confident in the word of God and living for him that we're willing to endure anything that might come. Paul and Silas, they were stripped of their clothing and they were beaten with rods on their backs, on their sides, and on the back of the legs were the common practice. They were beaten by Romans. The Jewish people, they would have limited a beating to 39 strokes. The Romans did not care because if you died, that was no sweat off their back. They would beat you until they, they just stopped enjoying doing it because they enjoyed inflicting pain. And so the, the suffering that they experienced, it was severe and it was public and it was humiliating. And if you experienced humiliation for your faith, I know that there would be a sense of wanting to draw back. And I think Paul and Silas are a really good example of this. And we don't have all the details from the story. And so sometimes in your head, you have to kind of fill in, okay, well, how did this happen? Well, they, they get put into prison and their clothes are most likely shredded and barely there at this point if they were even given them back and they're bruised and bleeding all on their back and they, their feet are put into stocks. And if your feet have ever fallen asleep, I'm not gonna do six inches through this next part of the service because I don't have the ab muscles for that, but their feet are elevated. And if your feet have ever fallen asleep and, and it hurts and it's annoying, like not only are they bruised, bloody, they don't have good circulation in their legs, they're, they're in stocks so they can't move. They can't get to their side or their stomach to really rest on. And they're there in a prison expecting to be there all night. And talk about being uncomfortable. Like they can't sit on their backside because their backside got beat up. They can't lay down on their back because it hurts. And you're sitting there saying, God, I did exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And look at the circumstance that living out my faith has brought me to. Now, Paul at least should have had the perspective on because he was told at the beginning, right? He was warned at the beginning, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. But I'll also tell you that Paul was a pretty good grump many times in scripture. 
He was, he was abrasive. And when, when John Mark got sick, when they're on a missions journey and wanted to go home, Paul was like, I'm never working with him again. Like, don't bring him around. Barnabas was like, no, he, he, we should bring him back in. Paul's like, no, I'm done. Cut him off. I'm done with him. Until later when he saw that he had benefit and actually asked for his help again later. Like Paul would come full circle. Paul was abrasive, but he would eventually get over himself and get back where he needs to be. And so as I envision this, we get told what happens at midnight, but I like to kind of think about, okay, well, what did 1130 look like? where Paul's still having a pity party. Like he's sitting there, legs are in stock, all beat up, and Silas is sitting right there next to him. And Silas was known, known as an encourager as well. And Silas is probably like, hey, Paul, we should pray. And Paul's probably over here like, you should shut up. I hurt. I don't feel like praying. We prayed earlier. I prayed and cast someone out. And look where we ended up. And you want, you want some more of that? My, my appetite is full right now. I don't need any more of that right now. And Silas is like, all right, I'm going to start praying. You can help me finish. And, and, you, and he starts in like, Lord, thank you for counting us worthy of experiencing persecution for your namesake. And Paul's sitting over here like, this idiot, I can't believe. And, and, and listening and, and Silas is just praying out, praying out, praying out. And Silas gets finished and he's like, Paul, let's sing some hymns. Like, let's sing. And Paul was like, I do not like this guy. Like, who is this that, that I'm here with? And, and, and as he, he's in here, Silas is like, I'll, I'll kick us off. And he's like, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Come on, finish it, Paul. And righteousness. <laughs> I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And Paul starts to feel it a little bit. But holy rest in Jesus' name. And it starts, and this is an important thing for you, because you could have a mob of 100 people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people. You could get 100,000 likes on your post, but it would not matter if it does not line up with the teachings of Scripture. But if you have one person who will, in your life, pray with you when you don't feel like praying, sing with you when you don't feel like singing praise, it will bring you to where you need to be, not where you want to be. Your perspective is going to be built upon the conversations that you have with other people. And some of you guys have surrounded yourself with the only fruit that comes from their life is the fruit of a mob mentality where it's divisive. Like middle schoolers, let's get close to each other by tearing someone else down. And you wonder why you feel like you have your guard up all the time. Because the only people that you surround yourself attack, 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 attack. When you were called to be someone who builds others up. But so many of us, it's like we don't even know how to start because we've never known someone to be that. Listen, I'm not telling you to be an isolationist. Far from it. You need to have people in your life who do not know Jesus, but you need to have people in your life who encourage your soul. And if you are living your life only surrounded by people who don't even recognize that you have a soul, you're missing a key component to the development of your faith, fellowship. Now listen to me, fellowship usually just means eating. It's not just eating. There's a work of fellowship. 
of actually like outside of church, grabbing somebody by the arm or the shoulder and saying, let's pray. Like, let's pray together, you and me. Let's engage in spiritual work right here. Fellowship, like let's sing a song about God together. Like, like, let's talk about what we're reading in scripture. Let's, let's have what's going on in my soul cross over with, with what's going on in your soul as we chase after living for God. And those moments are fellowship. And it can happen over a meal or a cup of coffee. It doesn't have to not have food in it, but it has to have spiritual content in it. And, and it's one of these things that I just, I just see it as so poetic in, in here in scripture that there was a whole large mob of people who thought they had won, who th thought they had locked up Paul and Silas. But it wasn't the earthquake that set Paul and Silas free because they were never in bondage. They were free the whole time. They could sing and they could praise. And they, listen, why did they even come to Philippi? They came to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so in, in here when we see, okay, it's a, it's a little past midnight and they're praying and they're singing and they're singing spiritual songs and everyone's listening to them. And then suddenly, like it, it didn't have a buildup that you could hear, but it was just like a sudden violent earthquake. So much so that the doors broke off the hinges and were wide open. The chains broke off the wall and the stocks broke on the floor and all of the prisoners were set free. And it says it happened suddenly, but just like any success that you've probably experienced in your life, it may appear sudden, but it is built upon a foundation of prayer and faith that was not just the songs they sung that day because this is what happens when you find yourself in a dark situation. They're there and they had already built a testimony. And so when they're in a dark situation, they had a song to sing. They had scriptural truths to recite. They had pray prayers that they knew how to pray. And if you wait till you're in a really dark place to try to figure out what, what can I sing? What can I pray? What can I believe? What are the promises of God? Like I need something to stand on. If you don't have that already committed to your heart and your memory, before you get to the hard time, you're not gonna have the tools that you need to make it through that dark night. And so it's so tremendously important that part of your spiritual disciplines, that you're learning songs that just make your soul worship God. So that when you hit a tough moment and you just want to high five them in the face with your fist, like you just, you want to let go and lose patience that you can step away. And, and, and Aspen could tell you, I've been trying to make her sing that Give Me Jesus song we did every single week for like the last three months because that song just speaks to my soul. Like you memorize a song that speaks to your soul that when you think about it and you sing it, that it, it brings your mind to heavenly places and gets you out of the anger of the earthly places. It's a spiritual discipline for you to be able to do that. When you're fighting a struggle for you to memorize a verse of scripture so that you, you don't even have to think about it, but it will flow off your lips. Like this is the one that I always go to because it's the most practical on this. When I first became a Christian and God convicted me about the language that I used, Ephesians 4.29 was one of the first ones. Do not let any unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the edification of others that it may benefit those who listen. Like, like finding that verse that you need to correct your behavior or your struggle, you have to bring tools with you so that when you get in the dark, difficult places, you have something to fight that spiritual fight. So Paul and Silas, they weren't trying to learn songs when they were locked up. They bring the songs that were already stored up in their heart. And the miracle that they experienced, it wasn't just a reflection 
of what they had sung that 20 minutes before, but it's the way that they had been living. And as you build this testimony before God that your faith is him, your trust is in him, the greater I believe that you will see his provision on earth. He says he looks at how we steward the resources that he gives and then he entrusts more based upon that stewardship. The way that we live lives matters and God is gonna continue to show himself faithful to those who walk faithful, faithfully before him. And so God showed up and he did this incredible miracle. It was just like suddenly that it happened that was built on lots of prayers. And we see this answered prayer happen. And this is the interesting thing to me because maybe you like me, you're a rational person like I am. And when I read this and it says, the stocks broke, the chains broke, the doors broke open. And as I'm getting up to, to get out of this prison, because surely these are all signs that God doesn't want me in here. And the guard is about to stab himself. I'm like, well, that's just another problem solved on my part. <laughs> like the rationality of me, I'm like, I'm gonna let that happen so I can walk by and have that not happen to me. Like what, what in the world is going on in this passage that Paul and Silas and the other prisoners aren't running out and escaping and letting the guard take his own life. I mean, he was gonna take his own life because what the Romans would do to him if he failed his duties would be much more severe than just him impaling himself upon his sword. But wouldn't Paul and Silas's comfort and their freedom, like God did that, right? God made, no, the reason that they came there wasn't for comfort and freedom. The reason that they came to Philippi was so that lost people would become found. And so they weren't running from the pain, but they were standing in their purpose. And there, there are times where it's like, this is difficult and I would love to escape it, but I know this is right where I'm supposed to be. That's exactly what Paul and Silas did. This had not been a good day for them. They had the bruises and the welts and the the, the wounds that showed this was not a good day, but pain couldn't move them away from their purpose. Pain couldn't stop the praise that they wanted to express to God. And pain was just part of the process for that day of their life. And they understood that there was something greater that would come later that would more than make up for any of the pain and the difficulty that they experienced now. Band, if you guys will come up, I'm gonna wrap this up. Paul, Paul expressed different things regarding difficulty throughout his letters to the churches. It was an expectation, listen to me. It was an expectation that there would be times of difficulty and struggle as you lived out your faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses eight through nine, he said it this way. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. There, there's a little bit of an allusion in this um, to Exodus 27, verse 20, where it talks about the kind of olive oil that could be used in the lampstand that, that was in, out by, by the Ark of the Testimony. And 
you could make olive oil in this time really quickly by crushing the olives and then the pits and would get mixed into it and you'd have little flickers in the flame and it was kind of a cloudy oil that would be created or you could take more time and press and you wouldn't crush it and so you wouldn't get any of the fragments of the pit or anything like that into the olive oil and it would be clear and it would burn clearer and it would look better and it was just a more expensive way to do it because the olive wouldn't go as far but it was just of tremendous value and the Apostle Paul makes this allusion to just like, this is our experience. So there's, there's times where it's gonna press you, but it's not going to crush you. It's not gonna destroy you, but it's gonna turn you into something that is more valuable than what you were before. It's going to refine you. I mean, that, that illustration of, of being refined, Paul likes to lean into. And we all know this about everyone else in everybody else's church, but it's harder to see in the reflection of our own mirror We all know that the church needs to be refined. The church needs the pressing. The church needs to step forward in regards to holiness and living for the word of God and standing up for the truth of God. And we understand that every other church needs that, but we've got to bring it to the mirror. And this is the beautiful thing. That when we begin to say, I hold to the teaching of scripture above my political affiliation. I hold to the teaching of scripture above cultural normalities. I hold to the teaching of scripture above what the people at my work think and do. When we put the teaching of scripture at the forefront of all things, it seats us in a deeper, more meaningful community with other people. It gives us more peace. It gives us more joy. It gives us more fulfilling and it helps us see the reality of heaven that is to come today. And the true longings of your heart will be fulfilled when you chase after the things of God. And he is worthy. He is worthy of all that work. So today, I think that this is where the challenge kind of falls. I want you to just self-reflect. As we sing the song together at the end, Allow the Spirit of God to just work out in your head and your heart. Is there anywhere else where you have not given God the supremacy in your life, in the way that you live, in the way that you speak? And if there is, just know that there's people here who will talk with you. There's a small group opportunity sign up out there, but there's gonna be people here at the front to pray with you at the end of service. You don't have to figure out how to stand on your own, but God has given you the church to stand with you. But it's time for the church to be refined, to be pressed, to allow God to shape us into what we should be. Let's pray together. Father, when difficulty comes and trial comes and it seems unfair, would you just help us to to honor you, to live for you, to stand for you, to speak for you. And as we experience suffering or persecution, we know that your promise in 1 Peter is that after a little while you will Restore us, make us strong, firm, and steadfast. And so, Father, we have faith in what you will do as we walk through difficulty. And I pray for those who have been just feeling separated and isolated, that you would give them the courage to come near to you and come near to the church. They would be supported and loved by those who lift up your name. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?